McMaster University has over 210,000 alumni living in 140 countries around the world, and they are some of the most amazing people you would ever want to meet. Unconventional will introduce you to some of our alumni who are working to make our world a brighter place in their own unique way. Join me, Karen McQuig, Alumni Director at MAC, as we meet alumni in the arts, cutting edge entrepreneurs, alumni leading the way in health, technology, education, and more, as we learn the moments that their path from MAC became unconventional. I first met Angela Nardozzi when she was a student in our arts and science program, helping to plan the program's 30th anniversary. And she was such a joy to work with on the reunion. After graduating from MAC, Angela became a certified teacher and received her PhD from the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education in 2016. Her passion for working alongside Indigenous communities began in 2008 after living and working in a Treaty 3 First Nation. After completing her master's research with that community, she returned to Toronto to work with her own community, non-Indigenous educators. From 2011 to 2016, she was the project manager of the Deepening Knowledge Project, where she delivered workshops to over 6,000 teacher candidates about Indigenous histories and current communities, and the responsibilities of settler educators in teaching this content. Join me as we will learn more about Angela's unconventional journey, and if she's still a reunion planner. Angela, thanks very much for joining us today on our podcast, Unconventional. I'm going to ask you to go back to uh, the time when you were in arts and science at McMaster. And were you one of the undergraduate students that, that had a master plan on how your career, would, your career path would be, what you would be doing in a couple of years after graduation? Um, and if you did have a master plan, what did it look like? Oh, great question. Uh, thank you for asking it. I was the exact opposite. I was terrified and hoping that by the end of fourth year, somehow a master plan would appear, but no, it did not. And I have a memory of being um, in the basement of my house on, I believe it was Ward Avenue, doing my laundry on the phone with my parents who were like, you can't take a gap year. We are Italian. We do not do gap year. <laughs> and so um, I know I had no idea. And the default in my family um, is that every single, literally, this is very true. Every single woman in my family has gone into education. Even if they went into something else first, they somehow have ended up into education, except I think we have one wonderful nurse. And, um, and so I was like, okay, uh, I should apply to teacher's college, I guess. Um, and, but, but it wasn't, I didn't think I wanted to be a teacher. I didn't become a teacher. Um, and yeah, I was, I was terrified. Uh, so I was kind of thrust onto a path and I made the, I found a way to make the most of it, but it absolutely wasn't a master plan and it still isn't one. It still isn't one, Karen. <laughs> well, I think that'll make people feel better. I actually, I should tell everybody, I met Angela when she was an undergrad. We worked together on a couple of, um, arts and science reunions, which was a great experience. Um, and you know, it's been, it's been amazing to check back in with you after a few years to see what you're doing. And it's, you've had a great career post McMaster. So I'm going to ask you to kind of think back the first few months when you were a new grad and mm -hmm. explain sort of what the transition from an academic life to professional life was like for you. Okay. I'm going to get really real with you. It was kind of scary. So I moved, um, from, so this is, this is, are we talking after McMaster? Or are we talking after my PhD? Which one are you thinking about? Why don't you, why don't you do your, after your PhD? 
Okay, that's less scary. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, they Good. both ended up fine. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, the PhD. So, you know, I knew by the end of my PhD that I love doing my PhD. I love doing all my, my graduate degree as well. And my teachers, you know, I loved it all. Um, but I didn't like the vibe of academia. Um, I was looking for um, an opportunities to do a variety of different things that didn't necessarily fall under the umbrella of being a professor. And so I started off by, I was very lucky. I landed what I thought was a, my dream job in the government. Um, it, you know, on paper, it looked perfect. And my biggest fear was, um, am I a person who has spent a lot of her time? I mean, I've had jobs, but, uh, and worked consistently, but I spent a lot of my time in school and do my skills transfer. And, you know, as I entered into the government, did that work? They did. But again, the job didn't really, it was, it was, it didn't do it for me. Like there was something, I had so many different things that I wanted to do. And so I wasn't there very long. Um, and I actually left um, after I think it was less than a year and I, I went out on my own. And now I do a number of different things that sort of match my interests. Um, and nobody really knows what I do. And it's, you know, kind of great. And I love it. Do your mom and dad know what you do? No, not, no. Um, <laughs> they, they just keep asking about benefits. So yes. the good news is that I do, which I get it, you know, yep. uh, you know, being professionals, those are very important things to them. Um, I, I do teach uh, courses at the uh, Ontario Institute for Studies of Education and the University of Toronto, Mississauga. And so, yes, mom, dad, I do have the benefit. This is great. <laughs> um, but, you know, I do a lot of other things, too. So it's just um, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a um, it's a little bit of a um, I, I, I want to say buffet. But those are like, you know, we don't go to buffets anymore in COVID era. So, yeah, it's, it's something like that but not a buffet. So does that, um, does that provide any, you know, I, I don't want to use the word fear for you, but is it kind of, is it scary? Well, I might be able to say, is it scary sometimes not, you know, having variety of different things that you're interested in and working on and balancing all that with, you know, professional and personal and, 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 and managing that? Like, how is that, how is that when you don't have what your and my parents would probably think is the perfect job, nine to five benefits, a pension, and, and you know where you're going every day? How do you manage that? That's a wonderful question. And I think a lot of people um, in my life, uh, my age, younger, older, have asked me the same question and expressed this, this sort of a fear around that idea. So um, it, it was scary for me to go out my, on my own. And it is you know, it, I do continue to take leaps in terms of where I think, like what work I think I can take on, you know, um, how I want to present myself to the world. Um, and I've been very grateful for, you know, I, I have worked with coaches, for instance, who have supported me through this. Um, I also, but I'll also say that, like, I think the first step of leaving that government job that was supposed to be the perfect job where I did have quote unquote security, uh, even though, by the way, that uh, turns out a few months later, that particular branch of the government folded. So the security, you know, evaporated, like where security, wherefore art thou in 2020, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. no. So it's all kind of a mirage. Um, 
But, um, you know, it looked perfect on paper. And that was the biggest scary step to leave what I thought I wanted behind. Because, because I guess what was scarier, really, at the end of the day, was that there was all this joy inside of me. There was all this ambition inside of me. You know, I have really strong feelings about what I want to accomplish in the world. Um, and that that was going to not come to fruition because I would, I would, I would have chosen like, you know, security. So the fear, the, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the best I got. What do you think of that one? Karen? I think that's, I think that's a pretty good, good, uh, darn good answer. Yeah. Especially mm -hmm. in, you know, and also in the context of today, you know, we have students, you know, graduating into a covert COVID um, yes. world, you know, and, yes. and I think um, now's the time probably that it might be even harder to have a master plan and a career path. And, and, and from your experience of being able to do a variety of things that you love and give you um, joy and passion and fulfillment, I think is a good story to tell people. Yes. Well, I just want to add to you, like, you know, now that I've heard what you said, I think the thing is that I realized that a lot of the things that I had done in my undergrad, but also throughout my graduate degrees were transferable, but not in the way that I thought, like, I didn't realize it, but I think it's very true. But to be a student who does some sort of like a thesis, so I did, you know, an undergrad thesis, I did a master's and a PhD thesis, right? You kind of need to be entrepreneurial, right? You need right. to be able to manage your schedule. You need to be able to be in it for like, think ahead and, you know, okay, where, where am I going to find this research? Who am I going to interview? Which professor should I work with? Like, there's a lot of things that you're juggling and, you know, once you've got that skill set, it really did transition very well to running my own, I don't, I guess I run my own business. It, I, I, I think you do. I think you do. <laughs> I think you do. There you go. So it worked out. Um, and so, yeah, I would say like that, like for me, just looking into what I did in my education and, and sort of saying, okay, what skills were those? And how can I, you know, how can I transfer them to the, the working world, you know, it's very, it's very, uh, it, it was exciting to be honest. Mm -hmm. so, so one thing that sticks out in your CV is your passion for indigenous advocacy, advocacy and community building. So mm -hmm. why don't you talk to us, like, where did that come from? And uh, how do you continue to cultivate those two passions that you have? Mm, thank you for, thank you for asking that question. I um, am super Italian Canadian. So let me put that out on the table. And um, did not have much of a explicit, I think, relationship with Indigenous peoples prior to uh, working, so prior to teacher's college. Um, and why I say explicit is because, you know, I live on Indigenous land. And so in a way, we all have a relationship with Indigenous communities, whether we, you know, really think about that on a daily basis or not. Um, but after teacher's college, you know, again, I sort of found myself like, huh, you know, what do I do next? And, you know, I put that question out into the universe and a friend came to me a few months later, like, Angela, you know, have you heard about Frontier College? They do summer literacy camps in First Nation communities. They seem to have really, really strong partnership with these communities in doing work, which actually benefits the communities. And I was kind of hesitant because one of the things I really learned at McMaster was the importance of being critical 
about work with communities that are not your own. Not that you shouldn't do it, but to, to approach it in a critical manner and not a patronizing manner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really credit McMaster with that and the, the amazing profs that I had. Um, but I did, you know, I did work in that community and I built really strong relationships, which I continue to this day. And part of those are just friendships. You know, like my husband and I, uh, prior to having our son, headed up north and, you know, spent a few weeks uh, with our friends there, you know, hanging out, exchanging recipes. So it's like, it's a real relationship. It's, it's a friendship, um, a set of friendships that is. Um, but yeah, like I, I also was there that first summer and looking around and saying, hey, these are people who are legitimately just like me. You know, we wear the same clothes. We like the same TV shows. And hmm. Why do they not, why are they not able to drink the water mm-hmm. from the tap? And, you know, why do they not have garbage pickup? And why are they living in these homes, which are moldy? And, you know, why as a person living in this province, have I been taught such stereotypes about them? And so that really spurred me to come back to my own community, um, which as I mentioned before, all the educators in my family just graduating from teachers college, I felt like I needed to speak to other educators about um, what we can do to decolonize ourselves and to build better relationships and work for, towards justice for Indigenous people. So that's kind of how it started. And I'm really passionate about it. And I'm really grateful that um, Indigenous community members like folks from that first community, but also here in Toronto, have um, stayed in relationship with me and supported my work and held me accountable. So um, it's a big part of what I do. Thank you for asking. Yeah. So you are teaching at U of T, correct? Yes, I am. Yeah. So what are your students teaching you these days? Instead of you teaching them, what are you learning from your students? Mm. Yes. Oh, love this question. Um, Well, I'm learning from them how to balance what I see from my students is that they are balancing so much more than I did even, you know, just over a decade ago when I was at Mac, right? Like Mm -hmm. it seems like the demands on their time are so much more. Um, And so they are teaching me the importance as well as advocacy, right? How to advocate for yourself. And I think that's super important. I think I can imagine it. it must be easy to get lost right now um, in terms of, you know, professors have demands on their time. And so how do you, how do you make your education meaningful to you? And so I really appreciate how they advocate for themselves, how they, um, you know, how they respectfully get my attention and, um, meet with me and, um, how they're really, they're really wanting to make, I think the third thing is I'm learning from them the importance of making every, assignment every read like everything meaningful right they don't want to do busy work this isn't about um let's just check boxes they my students want uh to do work which um resonates with them and so they are challenging me to be a better instructor to make sure that everything is very cohesive everything i teach has a point and um yeah i really i really love teaching so what advice would be would you offer to a graduating student, um, whether they're graduating tomorrow or they're graduating next spring? What, what, what piece of advice would you want to share with them? Oh, you know, this is a hard one. I think um, I know I'll tell you very honestly, especially when I left my undergrad, it was a tough time. I 
really loved being at McMaster. I mean, how can you not? It was, <laughs> McMaster was like good to me. And I love the sense of community. And I kind of felt lost when I came back home and, you know, was back in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I'll be very honest, it took me a few years to rebuild that community again. Um, but I will say that um, my advice for folks is that, you know, community is a big piece. And so look for that community. Really, um, really look for your people. You know, look for those relationships, invest in those relationships, and not just for, yeah, yes, I mean, it's important for our careers and our next steps, but it's also so important to connect with others and be in relationship with others as we navigate through whatever's coming next. You know, like 2020, as, you, as we've spoken about, Karen, both on and offline, like a lot of change has happened. And I think, I think this might be the status quo for a while, this sense of change. And so I know that I'm leaning on my friends, you know, just like, six, six really good friends, right? Like, you know, in different areas of my life who I need to check in with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to, I want to know how they're doing. And I need to tell people how I'm doing too, because that's an important piece. And um, you're not, you don't have to do it alone, right? That there are supports out there for you. If that, those friends, if you're not feeling that there's people you can turn to, to speak to, um, who else out in the community, what services are there to help you connect? You know, is there a, uh, through your workplace, through school, through volunteering, like, you know, who, where, where can you turn to find just even that one person who you can just check in with? Um, yeah, that, that's been on my mind lately. So if we were to take, you know, uh, close our eyes and go f- into the future five years, yeah. where, where do you think you're going to be in five years? What's next for you on that journey? So thank you for asking. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot. And I've realized that for me, I think of my career more these days, rather than thinking about roles, I think more about what are my intentions? Like, what are the things that I want to be doing? And so I have three. Um, I want to be, in the next five years, supporting Indigenous leaders with my skills, right? So boosting their leadership, holding them up. I want to be supporting non-Indigenous folks, uh, potentially through my coaching practice, to stay in the work um, to, of supporting Indigenous communities in different ways. You know, it can be hard work, it can be draining work, um, and we can't do it alone. So I want to support others uh, to do the good work and to sort of critically look at the ways that they're supporting Indigenous communities, whether, you know, thinking about decolonizing themselves, thinking about working through their, their privilege, et cetera. And then the third thing is that I really want to do more work. And I've, I've spent the last, I would say, decade working with my community of educators, thinking about decolonization and what we need to do to work for justice for Indigenous peoples. And that conversation seems to be on a roll. I'm happy to continue to participate in it, but I really, really want to work with the Italian-Canadian community and think about what is our role um, in processes of colonization that are happening right now and how can we dismantle that? So those are my three intentions. That We'll check in in five years. We'll see I how will. it went. All right, I'm going to call you in five years. But I think it's <laughs> interesting the way you, you frame it around intentions, right? Most people don't think of it that way when they're actually mapping out their career path. It's like, what's the next role? Where do I want to be when I, you know, when I get to that ultimate job? What made you sort of do a different shift and and focus on the intention? 
Well, I think it's partially because I think it makes me more adaptable, right? Because those things can manifest in many different ways, right? And so as, right. And so because I'm, I'm sort of, you know, an entrepreneur here on my own um, in, in various roles as educator, coach and consultant, how do I, um, how do I discern what things I'm going to say yes to and what I say no to? And so part of it is, you know, I've got my list of criteria of who I want to work with and what kind of work I want to do. Um, but part of it is like, does this align with what I think my purpose is here? And I, I you know, I, I talk to my coach friends about this a lot. I, I talk to my clients about this a lot. And what I've observed is the more we say like no to things that just aren't sitting right with us and follow our gut, those yeses come through more clearly. Um, and it's really scary because you're right. It, it's like, a, it's it, like, it, it doesn't, it might not always happen like that. We're not sure, you know, and I have taken, it's not that I don't take roles sometimes because like, okay, you know, I need, I need a paycheck for the next six months. It's not like I don't do that. It's mm-hmm. right. But um, sometimes you have to make those trade-offs of like, okay, I'm going to take, take this and this is going to allow me to then have a little bit of a cushion so I can think more loftier for, you know, the six months after that. Um, so it's a little bit of a balancing act, but the other, and I'll, the other thing I'll tell you is this, I read this book uh, a few years ago, um, it's called The Desire Map. And I forget who, Danielle Laporte, I think is the author. And she talked about oftentimes in our career, you know, we, we aim for things because we want to get to a feeling. So like, I want to be, I don't know, like, I want to be a, a, a lawyer because it's going to bring me happiness because I'm going to have stability and money and all these things. But really what you want is the feeling, right? So the, the pathway through becoming, I'm just using a lawyer as an example. It could be anything, mm-hmm. but the pathway through being a lawyer might actually not be what you want, but you think it's going to bring you the feeling. So what if you just focus on the feeling instead and make decisions about, okay, this particular thing is going to bring me the feeling I want. So it's just about flipping. Yeah, it's just a, a, a subtle flip yeah. in terms of what you're focusing on. Yeah, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, so as we um, wrap up today, I'm going to ask do some of our rapid fire questions we like to end our podcast with. So I'm going to start off with your favorite memory of McMaster. Yes, love it. I have like so many beautiful memories of just walking through campus in the fall. Like, come on, like the leaves, the grass, the light, the building. <laughs> it is <Ooh>. beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. That's my favorite. I mean, so many, um, you know, but that was, is my, the mental landscape I go to. Your best COVID purchase. Ooh, this chair I'm sitting in right now. My husband got it for me. It's a gamer <laughs> chair. Don't knock the gamers, Karen. They know everyone not. <laughs> I got a foot rest. I got a like a, a thing in my back that vibrates. It's got a head rest. It's great. Yeah. Well, it's funny as you kind of go back, like when everybody went into, we all went to shelter at home in March, you discovered how most people, including myself, did not have adequate uh, chairs and how important a chair was if one was going to be working from home. 100%, Karen. I'm with you with 100%. <laughs> um, <laughs> what books on your nightstand right now? What are you reading? Ooh, I'm reading The Artist Way by Julia Cameron. I, which I love, highly recommended for everybody. Artists are not like, we are all artists. Um, number one. Number two, Braiding Sweet Grass by um, Robin Wall Kimmerer. And number three, this one's for my son, 
It's a cute little book, May We Have Enough to Share by Richard Van Camp, who's a Dene author. And yeah, it's a great book for all parents out there. And even if you're not a parent, it brings me gratitude and joy every day. Oh, what's your uh, personal motto? Ooh, um, this one I've adapted from Brene Brown, who's really uh, famous in the TED Talk world and yeah. beyond. Um, I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. Ooh. So yeah so it's yeah. like it's not about my ideas i'm open to learning let's do this which living person do you most admire easy jane fonda she is so cool <laughs> she's out there she's putting herself on the line and she's looking fabulous at the same time like i just i love it i just love and she's you know she's in like i think her 80s now and she i was gonna say home. we should all look as good as jane fonda in her 80s that's our dream <laughs> Right, Karen, but she's yeah. also she's also real about it. She's also saying, you know, no. I, I love it. She's like, this is expensive. I'm like, yeah, yeah. tell me about it, Jane. <laughs> but like her activism is just so inspiring. Like, I love it. What's yeah. your idea of uh, perfect happiness? Mm, I'm learning that. <laughs> I'm learning. This is a big 2020 COVID realization that perfect happiness needs to be every present moment. And so it's all about being present as much as possible. Um, Yeah. Thank you. Meditation people on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) And as we wrap up one song that best describes your time at McMaster. Oh, this one's very hard. Um, But I, and I don't even really know this song, but I think this is a song, the phrase taken care of business came to mind because I'm just like, you know, like assignments, you know, Halloween party, you know, exam, like you just, you just took care of business in yep. a good way. So I really, <laughs> that. that came to mind. Uh, that's a, that's a good way to end. So Angela, thanks so much for spending some time and telling, uh, sharing your journey with us. It's been uh, really interesting to see what you've uh, done since uh, graduation. Um, you know, coach, teacher, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. entrepreneur, mm-hmm. advocate, mom, wife, yeah. friend, yeah. you know, colleague, yeah. like, like you've got it all going. You got it all. It's all happening. <laughs> it's, it's all happening. Yeah. In the comfort of a gamer chair. Yeah. In the comfort of a gamer chair. I was going to say, Karen, the dishes aren't done, but you know, it's all, the rest of it's happening. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks a lot, Angela. Thanks, Karen. It was wonderful to reconnect. <laughs>